Good afternoon from the racing capital of the world, Speedway, Indiana. My name is Nick Sturgeon, your host, and thank you for listening to episode number 74 of the Cyber.Now podcast, your number one spot for learning about all things cybersecurity, technology, policy, and politics. I want to thank all of you who are listening right this second, right this minute, for taking time out of your day. As you know, time is the one resource that we are not guaranteed. So I really appreciate you spending that valuable resource on this podcast. So we are getting into part two of my conversation with Lindsay Marie of townhall.com. She has a couple of articles that have been published since we first recorded this conversation. I will have links to both of those articles. Highly recommend that you all go check out her articles. A little bit of an update as far as the show goes. I am recording for the very first time on my new Rode Procaster microphone. It's XLR dynamic mic and the initial testing that I have done on it since I literally just got it out of the box maybe 20 minutes ago. I love the sound and I hope you guys agree. This thing is phenomenal looking. It's sturdy. It's just fantastic. I love this thing so far. And like I said, the sound quality, I think, just is out of this world. I was debating on this particular model. Again, this is the Rode Procaster. And looking at the Shrew 7M or SM7B, which is kind of like the standard in microphones when it comes to podcasting or broadcasting in general. And doing my reviews between this, the Rode Broadcaster, which is the next level up, and the Shrew, I just liked the sound, at least from the videos and the podcasts that I sampled that use this microphone. So I really hope you guys notice a major difference in the sound quality. I think it's going to take this show to the next level and just give this a lot more professional sound versus the Blue Yeti that I started out with the last few episodes that I've recorded for this show and my other show. Books Over Beer have been on an audio technica that I use for going on the road because I've had some issues with the Blue Yeti. So I'm just excited to be presenting at least this portion of episode 74 and the closing portion of the show on this new Rode Procaster microphone. And then also excited to be able to do my shows from now on on this microphone. So anyway, just kind of geeking out over some podcast gear. But without further ado, here is part two of my conversation with Lindsay Marie of townhall.com. Yeah, but the other thing that's kind of infuriating to me is if I was to go into a courtroom and ask a judge for a warrant, which I have done on multiple occasions, 
say, hey, judge, I, here's this probable cause. I need a warrant to go search somebody's house or at the extreme to take away their freedom. So get an arrest warrant. If I, and I have not done this for the record for the second time, just want to make sure the NSA is clear on this because uh, I know they're, yeah, <laughs> live. So just go ahead and hit. <laughs> <laughs> outside of my house right now in a weird telecom Go ahead band. and subscribe and like. Just help help the ratings out. Uh, <laughs> Are we doing okay? Uh, I, I, it never gets old. Never, never, never gets old. Yeah. <laughs> it won't until we're in camp. <laughs> uh, but if I was to hypothetically lie to that judge and provide them or him or her false information, misleading information to get that warrant. I commit a crime. I could go to jail for lying to that judge because that's a an official oath affidavit, excuse me, affidavit that says I as, you know, then trooper Sturgeon swear that everything here is factually as it happened. Not only one time would get me in trouble, but 17 times Oh, that would be a freaking scandal in any department. But yet, the FBI, what's happened? <laughs> I, mean, I think it's it's a pretty simple explanation. It's laws for thee, but not for me. Um, it's the same thing we see in every branch of government, no matter if it's judicial, executive, legislative. Um, people in government are not held to the same. Well, like, as a law enforcement officer, you were part of government, but you aren't necessarily on the same level as, say, the FBI. Um, but typically, people that are in government are immune to certain things. Um, they get by with a lot more than the average citizen does. And I mean, people always talk about, you know, taxation theft. So I guess you could argue that too, um, that the government steals and we can't. But um, I think it's just interesting because out of all this, one thing that's caught me off guard is the fact that Democrats, they seem to just love this surveillance and they're, they seem to be fine with this um, FISA stuff and be pro-Big Brother and anti-Fourth Amendment. And it's bewildering to me because I look back to many, many, many years ago when I was very young. Um, I identified at the time as a Democrat, not knowing there were a lot of other options out there because I was anti-surveillance and I was very pro-Fourth Amendment. And to me, this party, they've basically abandoned their principles just to spite their enemy. And that's really, that's a really sad thing to think about is that one of the parties that used to champion this cause is now basically given up on it and they're using it on their enemy. Yeah, and and they don't care anymore. It's also a little perturbing, if you will, and mind boggling that you look at all the access the NSA has, the CIA, the DIA, all of the three letter agencies that make up the intelligence community. They have it blows anything out of the water that Google or Facebook may have. And yet these congressmen, these senators want to put Zuckerberg and the CEOs of all these other companies on blast, you know, in a congressional hearing for all of the quote unquote bad things that they are doing with data. They ain't got nothing on the federal government. <laughs> no. And I've seen people like um, Tucker Carlson talk about how, God, you know, they have to be stopped. And he talks about Facebook jail. And it's like Facebook jail versus real jail. Because there's definitely something here where I think the political elite, they're very concerned about being censored and in being kicked off platforms. 
But the everyday person is yeah. concerned about way more things than that. The average person is more likely to have the door kicked in and um, flash bombs thrown in their house on accident because yep. somebody was executing a warrant incorrectly. They're more likely to get thrown in jail for something they didn't do. They're more likely to have all these things happen to them. So those concerns are more real, whereas the people on the TV are concerned about stuff that it just seems so <laughs> silly in the grand scheme of things. Like if your reasoning for wanting all this regulation is because of Facebook jail, like you're out of touch with reality. Have you read the news lately? Yeah. Seen any headlines? Oh, anything? It just, I, I don't know. It, it, it's mind-boggling. It's frustrating and infuriating at times. And and I'll pivot real quick. I think that we're at a good point to to show an actual example of this. And you sent me this article from Vice um, a couple weeks ago about this. Yeah, I know I, it's crazy, but this one is about the and the title from Vice is this secretive surveillance company is selling cops cameras hidden in gravestones. What the hell? I mean. Yeah. Welcome to 2020. Big brother. I mean, are they really that interested in knowing who attends some relative's funeral? I mean, I just. I, I mean, if they can scan their face and have it identified in the database as somebody who has a bench warrant outstanding or anything else, I guess they do. <laughs> I mean, that's what I'm assuming yeah. they're trying to do with this. I don't know. I, I, I would say probably you're right. It is the tracking movements and i'm sure they will tell you it is well we just need to identify the bad people make sure we get these people that have warrants for b misdemeanor c misdemeanor issues you know are in jail <laughs> so they need that free labor you know <laughs> Yeah. Always about safety, right? Just give up a little bit more liberty and you'll be safer. We promise. Not like last time. We didn't really mean it. We're sorry we were wrong. But this time, yeah. trust us, and it's going to happen. The other thing that is used, and it, it kind of sort of goes into the license plate reader story from the Indie Star, which I don't subscribe to, and I know I'm probably bad, but I wasn't able to read. But Fisher's uh, is... <laughs> starting to install some automatic license plate readers on 96th street that yeah, <laughs> no, I actually okay. don't Go subscribe. I'm e oh, sorry. <laughs> I don't subscribe either. And so I found the story on, I think it was like indiechannel.com or something. I don't know, some other website. And um, I could not stop laughing because it seemed so ridiculous. It said they're trying to praise um, this guy who's developing a, I think it's a fit fitness facility. And praise him for working alongside the mayor's office in law enforcement. And then the next sentence says, and basically verbatim, the mayor required the developer of the facility to purchase the license plate readers. It's like, first of all, yeah. you're not working together if you're requiring someone to do this. Second of all, why would the mayor require some like a developer to do this? Like to me, I want to know what the developer got in return for this because that seems really odd to me. Like, was there a rule in Fishers where if you have a new business, you have to buy these for the city? Yeah, and especially that seems suspect, in right? the one city that's outpacing pretty much every other city as far as growth and development. And you, know, you think they would be able to afford those on their own. <laughs> I mean, and that was the thing. They're like, oh, the taxpayers don't have to pay for it. It's like, yeah, but like, this seems really weird. Like nobody, if, if the mayor's requiring you to do it yeah. verbatim, why? 
Like that to me just seems odd. Like some journalist that's listening should look <laughs> into this. I don't have the time, but something does not seem it, right did about he get that. Special deal. favors to be able to develop in that again, highly sought after, highly valuable land that is at Fishers, Indiana, right now. I I don't know. I go ahead. Yeah, I mean the. I mean, it just, they said they were going to use these license plate readers to deter, deter crime. And it's like, well, when you look at the studies, that's actually inconclusive. Um, I don't see how they're going to deter crime. I think the only thing that's going to happen is it's going to help the government spy on everyday citizens who, quite frankly, haven't been accused of anything or convicted of any yeah, crime. And I, so when I, one of the programs that I ran from a technical side at the state police was their license plate reader program. And I will have to give kudos to ISP that our the retention policy on that data, and I know this for a fact because I set the retention policy on these systems, was 90 days. So if there was not a criminal case associated to this information, it was erased. And you, I don't know if the testimony is still there. I actually was asked to testify in front of the Senate Homeland Security committee back in, this would probably been 2014, to talk about the state police's capabilities when it comes to license plate readers. And I, there was also a study by the ACLU at the time, too, that was a fun read, <laughs> kind of flew in the face of the law enforcement a little bit. And there's some things with the ACLU that I don't quite see eye to eye with. Some things I do, um, not everything, but I mean, it, it from a law enforcement officer standpoint, it is a fantastic tool. So you're not having to have your eyes down looking and trying to read license plates while you're driving. I mean, so, you know, that's a, a kind of a, a safety issue. But so I would ask why when you were driving, you were running a plate unless there was reasonable suspicion to because that's personal data. So just like from a citizen's perspective, not knowing how it works. It, from an education standpoint, the the courts have said here in Indiana and in the U.S., license plates are not protected information. And you as an officer do not need any reason to run a license plate. Even just to the the very, very reason can be I want to check to make sure that plate belongs with that car. Well, I know in Virginia... Virginia Supreme Court recently ruled that it is considered personal data under the Personal Data Act. So they did not, the case went to the Supreme Court, I think it was last year, they sent it back down for an, another hearing. Um, but so it is starting to change a little bit. And I've heard from officers recently for something completely unrelated about running license plates. And they were saying that they no longer could just run one. They had to have, they, there was a, some kind of nuanced reason why, basically, that they'd have to have before they could legally do it. You know, and I will admit that it could have changed since, you know, it's been four years since I've been in, in the state going on five and about three ish since I was a reserve. So the a ruling could have come out there. But so I will preface this and say when I was there, we didn't need any reasonable suspicion. We could just run on the mere fact of we just verifying that that plate belonged to that car because I couldn't tell you how many cars in Indianapolis, Marion County that I ran that were, were false and fictitious, that somebody had put a plate on a car that didn't belong on that car. Using that kind of experience and knowledge was really enough. And even in the training is saying, hey, 
you can do that. Now you couldn't run your ex-girlfriend's plate for a reason <laughs> or yeah, there, there were limitations, like, um, but you'd be surprised how many people have done that. My, my guess is that Indiana's law is probably still the same. I think it's other states that are starting to change with new technology. They've had more people challenge some of this stuff in lower courts and I've made it up a little bit higher. Um, cause when I was looking at cases, they were pretty much all 2018, 2019. Um, in different states. But um, yeah, I think just as time has gone on and technology has changed, people are now finally getting caught up in the court system with these cases and, and people are finally getting decisions on them that are a little bit different than things used to be. Yeah. But, uh, and, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing at all. I'm not arguing that point, especially with as now that the, in, and even to, and I'm trying to remember which article I read where this technology has become so cheap and agencies are adopting it more and more, and, and law enforcement are buying these. Now, with all of the other databases that are coming together, where you can actually now start tracking individuals, yep. I absolutely, that does change the game from a constitutional perspective in my mind. Yeah, that's what I was kind of reading about was with the license plate readers, what people are, have challenged to get, uh, challenged is the fact that you're able to discern certain t- things about a person's life and also their movement. Um, and so a lot of people are arguing now under the new the new law, um, I shouldn't say new law, under the new precedent set by Carpenter of the United States, that you can't track someone's location. Um, and that had to do with cell location site information. But in this case, um, it would be your location based on the license plate reader tracking you over so much time, putting it into a database um, and someone being able to go back and then string it all together and figure out, you know, where are you going, different things about you and your habits. Um, and that case was pretty clear. And they're saying that, you know, when you venture out into society, you don't lose your Fourth Amendment rights and that you have an expectation of privacy no matter where you are um, in the whole of your physical movements. Mm-hmm. So I think that's something to keep in mind. And that now that that's come out, I think we'll probably see more challenges to these types of things. And add that to the data that is available open source. And, and it, it, it just is crazy. So they had some discussions at work around Google and AI and the ability now for even a halfway decent business intelligence analyst or some data scientist to be able to re-identify data that's been de-identified. It's scary as hell. I mean, it's absolutely like, holy crap. And it's kind of it's ironic that we're talking about privacy when yesterday was National Data Privacy Day. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's completely terrifying. And now with all the, the airports that coming, was it later this year in October with the real ID? Oh, I already opted out of that. <laughs> so I, uh, or not a real ID, but I don't know if it's the same. It's different actually, but the, Thing people have also talked about is airports with the facial recognition when you're trying mm-hmm. to go in another country. Yeah. And I was leaving the country about two weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago, and I saw this machine. And the the girl at the uh, gate was making an announcement. She's like, "Oh, to make your experience so much easier and faster, just come up and smile and scan your passport as you walk by." And I was like, "Oh hell no! I know what this is because I'd heard about it from other privacy um, experts. And so I went up there and I asked, so if I want to opt out, which they don't tell you you can do, but I read the fine print on the giant cardboard sign about it. And it said you could and said to ask. And I said, well, what do I do instead? And I'm thinking, God, they're going to like question me or they're going to like 
you know, do something to make my life a living hell. In reality, all it is is you just scan your passport. I literally did less than the people who got their picture taken because they got their picture taken and scanned their passport. <laughs> so it's like they say it's supposed to save time. It's like, how the hell did that save time? It actually took longer for them and it was quicker for me. Um, but yeah, that's happening at airports now with Delta and they are not telling customers that you can opt out if you do not want your data in there. And they say that they destroyed after so many days, but like, there's no way that we know for sure that's happening or that their data is not getting hacked. Well, it's getting hacked. Um, <laughs> I, I think they've had a couple breaches in the past, in recent history. And we know from even Amazon with Alexa and some of that information that they say they're not retaining, they're retaining it. <laughs> there, there's probably some fine print legalese that gives them justification to retain it indefinitely. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's just crazy how people and also to someone who's very <laughs> pro Fourth Amendment and critical of a lot of governmental systems to watch these people line up and <laughs> like little sheep in the line going towards the big picture taker, as the lady called it, and smiling. And it's like, you have no idea what you're doing. Don't do this. Yeah. And I just watched it and like people were making like weird faces and we thought it was like so fun. Like, oh, this is so cool. And it's like, you don't really know at all what you're getting yourself into. Nope. And the fact that they're tracking those individuals from point to point to point to point the entire yeah. time that they're in that airport or other airports that have that technology. Yeah. No, thank you. But the thing is, it didn't make any sense because where that one was flying out of, I was, that was the, my last flight in the U.S. to get out. Um, the airport I was flying into was very almost third worldish and did not have any technology like that. So there's no way they would be able to like actually use the technology to say, here's where she went. Um, so that's why it was even more bizarre because it's not like I had just arrived at the airport. They could track all the shops I went to and where I ate before I flew out again, which is very odd. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm not a, thankfully I'm not in and out of airports as, as much as I was this time last year. So I don't have to White worry gels. about it. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's nice to be at home. Being able to jump on and you know, record an episode of the podcast when I want to grade papers or get assignments ready and not live out of basically the same hotel room every single night, I know. week after week. Ugh. Stop rubbing it in. <laughs> It, no, I've actually I've been better lately about travel, not traveling <laughs> as much, but I think it's going to pick up soon. So we'll see. I know we're getting close to the hour. Um, I want to be respectful of your time. What are some of the things that you're working on now? I know we've kind of hit a little bit of everything, <laughs> but <laughs> so what's on your schedule? You know, when are you back in Indy and all That's of that good, good stuff? I actually don't know off the top of my head when I'm back in Indy. I'm guessing maybe mid-February. I'm not really sure yet. Um, but I do have an article going up on Town Hall um, tomorrow. But by the time this hits, it should already be up. And it's about this new study that came out um, that's showing at the top colleges in the country, the ratio of Democratic professors to Republicans is nine to one. Holy smokes. Yeah. And then when they looked at the professors that had donated money to a political campaign, it was 95 to one. Oh, Jiminy Christmas. Yeah. Um, so there's with every study, there's some things that could be construed as flaws with validity, but um, it's definitely worth a read and something to dive into because we've been hearing from people like Ben Shapiro and 
Dennis Prager for a long time that, you know, there's this liberal bias on college campuses and we should be worried about it. And I think most Republicans did believe that. But I think this um, shows that maybe it's accelerated faster than people realized. And they even broke it down by majors, which I thought was surprising um, that the economics professors were actually the it was a one to one ratio. Um, I thought that there would have been like 100 to one. Um, no shade, no tea. But um, there's just a, there's a lot in this study that was really something to uh, dive into and just sort of digest given what's happening on college campuses with things like free speech. And there was even some of the schools on there that Young Americans for Liberty had filed legal challenges against. And looking at the ratios of those colleges, you can't say that it's directly related, um, but it's just something to look at. And then I have a piece. I'm not sure where it's going to be published yet. Um, it's been taking a while, but it's about the FDA's approval process. And um, a study came out saying that last year they approved drugs faster than the last, I don't know how many years combined, which I think is a good thing because um, I'm a patient. Yeah. There's been people that have pushed back against this and they're saying that it needs to slow down. But currently from development to market, it takes 14 years for a drug to get on the market and they want to slow it down. Um, Hold so on there, <laughs> hair. You know, you're getting too fast. We got to let the tortoise kind of win this race. Pretty much. We want to let more people potentially die because the cure has not been approved because it's back behind red tape. Um, so I dive into sort of, you know, why they're saying these things and looking at the other side that no one's paying attention to, which is how many lives have been lost because of people were waiting for drugs that were stuck behind bureaucratic red tape and regulation. Um, and there's stories about people that literally die. And then three months later, the drug they need was approved and they had been begging the FDA to let them have it ahead of time. And they kept saying no. Um, I don't really get into it with this article I've been writing, but one thing I do really believe in is that as a, consen as a consenting adult, um, if you have the money to pay for a, a pharmaceutical drug, if even if it has not been approved by the FDA yet, and you want to sign a paper that says, I understand that this could kill me, but I want it. I think you should be able to do that. And this idea that drugs are safe and effective by the FDA, and there's all kinds of stuff that goes back into regulation and the history of it. Um, a lot of it's complete nonsense. and so this idea that we should slow things down because drugs may hit the market, keyword may, that aren't maybe as effective as we'd like um, is insane because what you're giving up is you're basically giving up people's lives at the same time. Um, and it's just, it's, it's a balancing act. And I just don't think that making people who are terminally ill wait more than 14 years is moral or humane or whatever other word you want to use. Yeah. I mean, and if you look at some of the stuff that does hit, just name any drug ad on the TV and, oh, we'll cure your your sleeping disorder. But, you know, the, there's chances of thoughts of suicide and all sorts of other negative consequences. It's like, really? I mean, and that's the thing. It's like there is no truly safe and effective drug because everyone's body's chemistry is different. Everyone's taking other medications, their diets, things like that can actually change how your your system reacts to it. Um and so the idea that we're going to get these perfectly safe and effective drugs is insane. And then the idea that you get them through regulation is even more insane. Um, but it's just, it's something that's not going to happen. And it's a trade-off and people should make that decision for themselves. The government should not be telling them what they can and can't do. I think it's fine if they want to give their opinion. Uh, I just don't think that they should prevent people from doing so. Yeah. And if, especially if the doctor's saying, even if it increases their lifespan for a month, a week, that's another month. That's another week that they have with their family. 
and it's not protecting the the pharmaceutical companies who benefit from these long R&D phases by jacking the prices up to these ungodly uh, amounts that we see you know it's uh, the fact of the matter is the if somebody is terminal and there's something that could potentially save their life or reduce the pain and suffering that they're going through and give their families just one more day i mean holy smokes that is a basic human just i, I won't necessarily right. right yeah i mean it's be. i mean it's, it's your right to live one more day and for the government to sit there and tell you nope we're going to limit how many days that you're living i mean it's just like a, you know being in prison and waiting a death sentence yeah and it's crazy because um the, one of the biggest pushbacks about the speed is that they're now allowing a different type of data to prove that a drug is safe and effective to hit the market and it's they're trying to act like this data is so nonsense and um, not worth looking at. But historically, um, to get a drug approved, the study had to prove 95%. Um, the, it was a 95% confidence level. Basically, you had to prove that 95% of the people in your study had, or a large percent um, had, basically, you had to prove that the drug would not only just reduce the size of your tumor, but it would lead to you having a longer life somehow. And what's happening now is they're using what's called surrogate evidence endpoints, which allow the drug manufacturers to have studies that conduct or that are conducted that prove that your tumors reduced. It doesn't necessarily say you're going to live 10 more years, but it just says it will reduce the size of your tumor. And so that's allowing them to get on the market a little bit faster. I mean, it's still taking 14 years, but um, that's what they're kind of pushing back against, which to me, I think it is insane. I think if the drug can show it reduces tumors, that's a good thing. I don't think it needs to show you get five extra years after that. Um, in some people's case, it's going to low, it's going to reduce their tumor to where they can have enough time till the drug that will actually 100% cure that cancer comes out. And it's for some people it's buying time for others. It's, um, and we don't know for sure that it's not going to add five years, 10 years. We just don't know. And I don't think anybody, even a, the most seasoned physician would even be comfortable saying for sure, yeah, this is going to give you five more years. Yeah, you never know. I've actually heard a story here recently where somebody was diagnosed with very rare, very aggressive cancer, was given, you've got a couple months to live, seven years later, still here. I mean, it's yep. just, you just never know what's going to happen. Or you end up just some completely healthy people having heart attack or, or stroke and at a young age, you just never know when it's your time. But if you have that fighting chance, why not give it to them? Exactly. And I think people are also worried about, we need to delay these things to figure out, you know, what the side effects are. The majority of side effects we know uh, from basically every drug, um, we find out after the fact, it's called post-market mm -hmm. uh, evidence or post-market studies. And so because when you conduct a study, if you're a pharmaceutical company, you know how expensive it is and how hard it is to prove that 95%. So you're going to get patients that are as closely alike as you can um, because you don't want any outliers and you don't want any deaths and different things that could hurt your study. So you're really only figuring out what kind of side effects this particular group of people have, not necessarily representative of the majority of Americans. Um, so a lot of that stuff comes after the fact. And to think you're going to catch it before is just insane. And my God, I hope they don't try and change the the uh, clinical studies or the regulations for it to somehow make them include even more people in different groups. Because 
I mean, it'll take a hundred years at that point to get something approved. Yeah. And while we're still wondering why we're not having cures for things that we probably should have cures for diabetes um, and protecting the big farm companies and allowing them to justify their reasoning for having this medicine be thousands and thousands of dollars per per pill. Hmm. Wonder why we're having problems. Little fun facts. Uh, insulin actually was created from the time it was created until it hit the market it was less than two years. And that was before they changed um, some regulation. But if insulin were to hit the market now, I mean, my God, it probably wouldn't be on the market for, if it even hit and got approved, I'm guessing 20 plus years. But at that point, because there was not enough, I, that's a really bad thing. <laughs> because there wasn't as much regulation um, in two years, they developed it, they fa- they created it, um, studied it, and it hit the market. Yeah. <sighs> and the common denominator, government regulation. <laughs> <laughs> everything. You wake up in a bed that has, it's got, you know, regulated by the government, and you, the clothes you wear, it's the same thing. The tags on the pillows you can't take off, it's government. The toilet you use, the amount of water it has in it, that's government. I mean, literally everything is government. And all the while, we pay more. And <laughs> we get less. They get le- yeah, we get less. And it's a wonder why we're, we're even still in existence. <laughs> you know, the Romans fell, so. Yeah, I mean, greatest empire on earth no longer <laughs> exists. Mm, frustrating at times. Felt, <laughs> trust me. Um. Yeah, I will look for your article that's supposed to hit tomorrow on the 30th, and we'll provide a link in the show notes for people to go and check it out. Sounds good. No, I I appreciate talking to you. Fantastic conversation, as always. That's it for this week's show, you guys. Thank you all for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the conversation between Lindsay and I. Again, if you want to join in on the conversation, go to the show's webpage at cybernowpod.com. Visit us on Facebook and Twitter. If you want to get a hold of me directly, you can find me on Twitter at the underscore Polititech, or you can email me at nick at thepolititech.com. Finally, if you think this show is worthy, go to iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, or your favorite podcasting platform to subscribe, rate, review, and don't forget to share the show. If you guys do all of that, I promise I will be back again to do this thing once more. Until then, have a great week. We'll talk to you soon.